Merry Christmas, everyone. You saw this card in your bulletin folders, and uh, this isn't just for you. <laughs> it does remind you of our, our meeting times, but especially for Christmas Eve, we have printed thousands of these that you might give these as a gift to neighbors and co-workers and friends who don't have church homes at Christmas. So will you consider that? We were at our neighborhood party last night, and I already know of one, two, three, four families that were there that don't go to any church, and I want to make sure that Marie and I invite them to come to be with us. All right, well, after the party last night, you want to know what I did? Yeah, okay, whether you do or not. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I went home and I put on a movie called A Christmas Story. Have any of you seen that one? Okay, with Ralphie? Okay. Well, I, I chose it for a special reason because it really does tie in to what the message is all about today. Namely, it is the story of a little nine-year-old boy who wants a gift he knows he can never have. Right? And that gift is, of course, the official Red Ryder Carbine Action 200-shot range model BB gun with a compass in the stock and a thing that tells time. And if you've seen, how many of you have seen the movie? Okay, great. <laughs> uh, it's the story of everything he can possibly do to try to get it all the time knowing he won't. His mother and his teacher tell him, no es posible, because what will happen if he gets it? He will shoot his eyes out. Yes, so there's no way he will ever be able to get it, but he keeps dreaming and he keeps hoping that this gift might somehow come to him. He also doesn't deserve it, to tell you the truth, because he's nine years old and he's not a very good little boy. After all, he lies, he swears, he beats up people, he flees from his friends when they're in need, he betrays them, he picks on his little brother continually. And, 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 and yeah, so he's got, he's just, he's, he, he's nine, like we were, okay? We've all got this bent toward badness in us. And so he's got all of that going, and there's just no possible way. And then wonders of wonders and the magic of Christmas on Christmas morning through the grace of his Father, small f, not capital, through the grace of his Father, he receives the greatest of all gifts, the Holy Grail of Christmas gifts, the Range Rider BB gun. All right, we smile, we laugh, but it awakens something in all of us, the longing for the gift we don't deserve. Well, I've got even better stories than that one, and they come from the Bible. And so if you have a Bible with you, would you please open it? We're going to look at two of the Christmas stories that talk about the grace we don't deserve and the gift we don't deserve. The first one's found in the Gospel of John, and we provide Bibles for you if you want to use one there. You'll see the page number on screen. We're going to look at two of the Christmas stories. The first one's from John, starting in verse 14 through 18. John 1, 14 through 18, and I read. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. It is the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace or blessing upon blessing. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is the birth story from the Gospel of John. Look at the first part of the first verse, 14. The Word became flesh, became human, and made his dwelling among us. That term, made his dwelling, can also be uh, defined as tented among us. T-E-N-T, -E like living in a tent, tabernacled, tented among us. And in a way, that's what it was for Jesus. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. Jesus was probably born in a cave where it was probably cold. Jesus had no royal gowns placed upon him at birth. His bed was not soft, it was hay. And his blankets were rags. The Word became flesh and tented among us. God rolls up his sleeves, he digs into life, and comes down and he gets into the muck with us. That's the first part of the Christmas story. He enters into the world of war, of terror, of poverty, of disease, of death, of loss, of a million kinds. And sometimes at Christmas, the losses we have incurred grow more acute. God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It, it, even right after his birth, things were hard. He becomes a refugee in a refugee family that flees across another border in order to not be slaughtered by a wicked government. The first great refugee. The whole thing is about humility not about majesty. Listen to this. It comes from that great theological masterpiece, the Jesus Storybook for Children. The God who flung the planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all made himself small. The suffering of Jesus is not only at the cross. The suffering of Jesus is at the birth. If you were God, how would you like to be confined to one of these things? Wow. Well, what is that? Well, here it is. Verse 14. The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. And then it says, The only Son who has come from the Father, full of, and here comes the Word, grace. The big Bible word of grace. It's used four times in the verses I read to you. It's used in 14, full of grace. It's used in 16. Uh, out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. The word grace is used over 200 times in the Bible. It's used only four times in John. And all of them are stuffed right into this glorious passage. There's something about the birth that occasions a level of grace that we've got to get a hold of. Now, what is grace? It's one of those Bible words that we use so often it gets a little smooth around the edges and it loses its sharpness. Shouldn't. There's nothing more wondrous than the word grace. It means, in essence, it means gift. Pastor Rob likes to say, grace is one-way love. In other words, that God is the only one that can love that way, to call it grace. Here's how I define it. Grace, the never-earned and never-ending, overwhelming love of God. Never-earned but never-ending, overwhelming overwhelming love of God. Now, look what John does with it. He uses some modifiers. In 14, when he first mentions grace, he says, full of grace. Not just grace. He says, full of grace. He's, he's trying to make the overwhelmingness even more overwhelming. Full of grace. Then in 16, he says, of his fullness, we have all received grace Upon grace, upon grace, and upon grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace was given through Jesus Christ. So that word full, that word fullness captured me this week as I was reliving this passage. And I just let it go at me for a while. And then I thought of this. <laughs> and I use this with children, so it will probably work with adults. All right. When, when a lot of us think of the overwhelming love of God, grace equals the overwhelming, extravagant love of God, I, I fear that many of us sometimes think, this is God's love, and maybe if I'm good enough, I'll get a little bit of it. It'll be drippled on me. Or, 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 or maybe even this much. All I know is there's a whole lot I have to do in order to get any of this, right? Wrong. The biblical teaching is this. The fullness of God's grace is lavished upon all for all are undeserving and yet all receive all the fullness of the grace of God. I like that. Does that work? Yeah. I got another one. In 7.16 there, it says grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Do you see, what, you see what the Spirit is doing through John? He's trying to take grace and blow it up bigger than we've ever imagined it before. It, it's, it's not just grace. It's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And so look at these. That's grace. God gives us a gift. But Lon and the scriptures, more importantly than Lon, a lot more importantly than Lon saying it, is the scriptures say fullness of grace, grace upon grace. So maybe it's more like that. Or maybe it's more like that. And that is the greatness, the overwhelming, extravagant 
love of God for you and for me. And friends, even for ISIS terrorists, the love of God searches to find all. Oh, Christmas was the coming of a child. God squeezed into tininess. And the whole thing starts by saying, this is a part of this overwhelming grace. Well, how, how does this become real? How, does this, how do we really get our arms around the multitude of packages or the overflowing, never-ending love of God for us in Jesus Christ? For that, we're going to go to a second Christmas story. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Turn to your left and go back uh, three books. And this is all about a person of significance we don't spend a lot of time with during the Christmas story. Joseph, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. All right, so this is really great, and then it gets really bad. The greatness. Joseph was marrying Mary. They had probably been engaged while they were yet children, for it was a culture of arranged marriages, like still the majority of the world is today. And then, at a certain time, it would move from that engagement made by the parents to the couple entering into a pledge, which is what our text says. And the pledge would last for about a year. And it was such a strong pledge to each other that, that they were married in the eyes of the culture. The only thing they didn't yet do was the consummation, the physical act of consummation. But in every other way, they were married. So much so that if the pledge time broke, it was, it was a divorce. During the pledge period, when everything in Joseph and everything in Mary was looking forward to being forever together in all ways, Mary got pregnant. And Mary tells Joseph, I haven't been with a man. Well, that just doesn't work. And this is where we find Joseph. This is adultery to Joseph. And the law says that Mary could be killed for having sex with someone else than her husband. And yet it says he wanted to be faithful to the law, verse 19, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind a quiet divorce. 
God not only chose somebody great in Mary, God chose somebody great in Joseph because to me, the shock of it, the unbelief of it, the, the anger, the shaming, the shame that the one who has adultery committed against them feels, you stay with him the rest of his life. He has every right to either have her stoned or put her away publicly so that she's disgraced. It might help him. But he didn't want to do that. You see some goodness in him. He needs help, though. Verse 20. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from God. Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be angry. Don't be shocked. Well, be shocked. This ought to shock you. But this is all about God. This hasn't been done since Adam and Eve. It will never be done again. But right now, this is me. I so love that. And here's what it says to me. Joseph desperately needed the presence of God to be with him. He needed insight. He needed help. He could not handle this. And he longed for God to express God in a way that you could see, touch, feel, experience God. And we all need that. And we all need it all the time. And in this case, it was angels. Angels are all over the birth deal. You got Mary getting angeled. You got Joseph getting angeled. You, 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 you've got Joseph getting a second dream from angels la later on when, when he says you've got to be refugees now. He, he's, got, he's got the wise men getting special dreams. He's got just stars. He's got, God is showing his reality all over the place. The supernatural coming into the natural. And that's what Joseph needed in his life. And that's a special type of grace where God displays his presence among us. More on that in just a couple of minutes. From there, from there, the angel then says to him, do you see this? Look with me now in verse 21. Okay? 20 ends by saying she's going to give birth to a son. 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. You are to give him this name. I, I, one of my titles for this sermon is, There's Something About a Name. And now, not only is the angel said, Chill out, man. God's all over this thing. And Mary didn't do what you think she did. Okay. And, in fact, I want you to name this child. And this is the name. And Joseph probably thought, Joseph, Joseph Jr. No. Jesus. Jesus is the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Joshua, which means God saves. For he will, the angel says, save people from their sins. 
Now, remember when we talked about the overwhelming grace? Here's where it is most displayed. That humanity, all human beings, and more importantly to you, you, can be forgiven for whatever you have done in your life that was ignoble, that was wrong, that was treacherous, that was vile, that was mean, that was evil. And we've all got this stuff pulsing in us all over the place anyway. And a holy God has every right to say, I won't stand for it and you're out of here. But a holy God of grace says, I must do something about people's sins. For it is by his grace that we are forgiven for our sins. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's on the screen. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God not a result of works so no one can boast. God looks at the vileness of us, of the world, and he says, I'm going to love them somehow anyway. I don't know where you're at. But I know every time I revisit something like this, even though I hear about it almost every week, the grace of God, which is found in the cross of Jesus Christ, I'm overwhelmed. Because God just doesn't and forgive everything. As a holy God who created an organized universe, there is always penalty for sin. And God's grace will literally take my sin penalty upon himself. I learned this really strong when I was like 20 years old, everybody. I, I, I was in a hospital, and I had internal bleeding, and I was there for three weeks because they couldn't find the source of my bleeding. And then finally, through exploratory surgery, they discovered that I had uh, an intestinal, um, what is it, uh, uh, bleeding, what? An ulcer, yeah, yeah. So I had this massive ulcer. <laughs> Should have known that word. Um, <laughs> any of you that says senior moment, you're out of here. All right. <laughs> that senior moment. Uh, duh, okay. Not in the notes. All right. Um, So I'm, I'm in this hospital, I'm bleeding internally. It turns out that it's a serious ulcer. They do surgery, thanks be to God, my body would be made well. But during that time, God was using that physical affliction to drive deeper into a much deeper wound in me. And that is the guilt that I carried for the death of my brother. See, when I'd been 13 and he was two and a half, he was down on the corner playing baseball with me, or at least watching as my friends and I played baseball. And in my 13-year-old vile selfishness, I said, Stevie, get out of here. I don't want you here. Go home. Mom thought I was watching him. He went home. 
He slipped into our backyard. He fell in our swimming pool and he died. And for seven years, just the mentioning of his name would cause me to break out in profuse tears. Why? I was the firstborn. I was watching him that night. I chased him away and my brother was gone. Laying in that hospital bed, a youth pastor came to visit me. He said, I know what's wrong with your body, but what else is going on inside you? And I just started crying and crying and crying. And I said, I killed my little brother. And he said, listen to me. And then he said, I want you to imagine Jesus hanging on the cross. And I did. He says, Lonnie, I want you to imagine Jesus looking at you because you're there. I could see it. And then he said, I want you to hear what Jesus says. Father, forgive him. He knows not what he has done. The first words of Jesus from the cross. I was flooded with the overwhelming love of God. I want you to know that. There are far too many people who even go to churches that think maybe by going to church, maybe by being a little better, I will appease an angry God who has a right to be angry at me for my sins, however small or large. But I just want to say to you, that isn't it. The only thing you can do with the guilt and the shame that you carry is go to God and say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And let the overflowing grace of God come upon you. If you've never done that, or if you're not sure you've done it, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer that can help you give yourself to God and seek His forgiveness that you may experience the overwhelming love of Christ, okay? You shall call His name Jesus, for He, by His cross, will save people from their sins. But there's a second name. Look at this. The second name that is given here. Verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. That's Mary. And look at the name. They will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. So he will have two names. Jesus, God saves. Emmanuel, God is with us. That's what I was trying to emphasize at the table. The presence of God. That's what I was trying to emphasize when we talked about Joseph just needing the presence of God so bad when he was facing that crisis. And my understanding of this is that because Jesus came in the flesh and was around for 33 years, they had every right to say God is with us. But we're in danger of thinking that we don't. Well, look at the last thing Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. I am with you always to the very end of the age. With you. That's what gets me. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. That's Emmanuel. I am Emmanuel. Until the end of time. On the 6th of December, 2015, and on the 7th, too. And on the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th. And I want you to begin to experience my presence with you at all times. The resurrected Christ who ascended to the Father 
sends God the Spirit back, who can be with all of us all the time. The deepest longing and passion of my own life is to experience the presence of God in continual communion. I don't know if you're like me. I forget about God all the time. But we don't have to. I've been reading about this. It's all over the Bible. Secondly, lots of people. I got this friend named Larry. He was really teaching me a lot about it. If you want to get formal, his name's Lawrence. Yes, and he lived in 1666, so it's not like he's around. But he's Larry to me. And Brother Lawrence, Larry, writes about the possibility of experiencing God moment by moment in one's life. God wants his presence to be as real to us from the supernatural to our spirit as the material world is on earth. It's meant to be a both and. The word is called simultaneity, actually. When, when the, the angel says, Emmanuel, when the prophets declare his name will be Emmanuel, it means there is a way of having God with us all the time. Wouldn't you love this? Now, um, we need this kind of presence because humans flat out just need this in their lives. It was um, four years ago in two days that my dad died. Uh, I'm like many of you. Christmas has a happiness, but Christmas has a deep sadness as well because of the loss of loved ones. And my dad lived a long life and he knew Jesus, but I, I missed him and I miss him still. I can't see Bing Crosby without seeing my dad. Well, right after his death four years ago, we came home from the memorial and the funeral. And a few days after the memorial, there was a knock on my door. And it was a, a young friend of mine, 22-year-old young man by the name of B.B. Taylor. B.B. grew up in this church. B.B.'s mom and sister still go here and maybe others from the family. And B.B. was one of about seven senior guys at Wheaton that I was hanging out with every week during their senior year, just doing life together. And that knock, a few days after my dad died. Sorry. And he just looks at me and says, I was just kind of thinking you might need a friend right now. <laughs> and so he became the father. He had, the 22 became the 55, and the 55 became the 22, and I could just crumble in his arms. I just desperately needed the presence of God through a person. We call that horizontal grace that we can give to one another. But the beauty is that we can learn to experience and see this throughout our day. The experience of the presence of God with us. I'm going to do two things as I move toward the closure of the sermon. I've got about five minutes left. First is, for those of you who love Jesus and are seeking to follow him in your life, I want to give you some things I'm learning about how to be with Emmanuel, present with me, more of the day, okay? Then after that, I'm going to do the prayer 
for those of you who have not experienced the overwhelming grace of God through forgiveness of your sins, and I'll have a prayer for you. But first, for those of us who want Emmanuel, number one, how to begin experiencing the presence or the Emmanuel God. Number one, ask him. <laughs> I woke up in the middle of the night. I was really bummed out. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night bummed out? Depression, bad dreams. And it, and it kind of hits me. I'm here. And I just said, God, reveal your presence to me. Ask for it. Ask for it throughout the day. Lord, where are you? I know you're here, but I don't see you. Lord, let me see, hear, feel, touch, taste. Number two, practice thanking him for grace sightings every morning and throughout the day. Thanksgiving prayer, everybody, is a, is a pathway to experiencing the presence of God. Why? Because every time you thank God for something he has done or is doing, what are, what are you giving evidence to? He's present. And so the more you thank God, the more you'll be aware of his presence, and it throws you out of your challenges and your crises, and it brings you into his presence. Marie, Marie bounds down the chair stairs this morning. She heads all of our front door ministries. I'm going to preach. She says, oh, I just had to give to God all my fears. And I go, you too? I had to give God my fears today too. I said, what are you afraid of? She said, oh, it's no big deal. It's just that stuff just happens to me. And, and then Marie says, let's pray right now. And so she grabbed my hands, and I grabbed her hands, and we just thanked God. God for the ways we'd seen him just in the morning I saw a sunrise today you'd have died for I was with my kids in Chicago yesterday I watched Christmas story last night God is real and Thanksgiving tunes us in to the reality of God right now in our present tense third imagine it I'm going to get weird on you here. But you've been given not only cognitive intelligence, you've been given imaginative intelligence. And imaginative intelligence is image-driven. And so what Brother Lawrence is teaching me to do is to actually imagine Jesus with me. So for instance, when I'm trying to finalize the sermon this morning, 5.45, 6 o'clock, I'm sitting in a chair by the white Christmas tree and there's another chair right next to it. It was empty. No, it wasn't. I just imagined my Lord Jesus sitting there and I started talking to him about how to order the end of this sermon. And I sensed his reality. Imagine him. Number four. Expect lapses and forgetting. <laughs> when you do, simply turn back. Brother Lawrence says it took him 10 years to get to the place where he lived in the habitual presence of God. It'll take me 20. I'll let you know when I arrive. <laughs> Don't you dare senior moment me on that. <laughs> and then finally, be patient. In time, you become as aware of him. In time, we can become as aware of him in the supernatural realm to our spirit as we are to the natural world that's all around us simultaneity wow. you shall call his name Emmanuel for God is with us all right final thing let's move to it there are some of you here that when you heard the story of my br little brother dying 
you realize that you carry a great weight of sin in your own life. And you're not sure you've been forgiven. You're not sure that overwhelming love and grace has been poured out for you or you've not received it. This is a great opportunity for you to step out of that guilt, out of that fear, out of that shame, and let God's grace fill you with his forgiveness right now. In the first hour, we had four people. You say, oh, how did you know there were four? Because what I do is I pray a prayer with us right now, even for our balcony friends. Hi, everybody. And then I will take the time to pray the prayer. And if you pray it with me, I'll simply ask you wherever you're at to raise your hand so that I can just give you a blessing to know that this moment, your words to the holy God release the forgiveness that Jesus provides for you at the cross. And you can be made new inside with his love. If you've not done that, or you're not sure you've done that, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's on the screen. Just pray it to yourself. God, I need to be rescued from my sins. Forgive me for every sin in my thoughts and actions. I believe in you to save me. I want to love and follow you forever. And then if you're praying this prayer with me, just out loud say, Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, we believe that the God of the universe, out of his overwhelming grace, forgives you for all your sins and begins to live in you as Emmanuel. So I'll start over here on the bottom. Those of you who prayed with me, could I just see a quick hand raise so I can say blessing to you? Don't anybody scratch your head or your hair at this point, okay? Right over on this side. Please let me see. Yes, I see that. God bless you. God bless you, friend, here in the front. Others? Way in the back, two of you standing. The Lord be with you. Help me with these, Eric, as far as counting, will you? Okay. God bless you in the back balcony these first two sections anyone yes I see at least two there okay Lord be with you I see a third Lord bless you center section down below oh this whole family Lord be with you all yes sir yes yes some of you I know have prayed this before but it's good to do it again it's just fine yes 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 okay Yes, I see you. God bless you. Right in the back there, a little young lady raising her hand. Balcony, middle section. Yes, I see that. Yes, in the far back here. Yes, right in the corner. That's a good seat. Sometimes I sit there. All right, this section, balcony. Yes, I see that one. Great. And how about here now? You have, oh, many hands going up all at once. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yee, yay. I'm glad God can see you all. 10, 11, 12. Lord, bless all these friends right now. Pour forth your overwhelming grace upon them. And now front and left section. Any here? Yes, sir. God bless. Toward the back over here. Any others there? 
and then up on top in the balcony. Yes, I see you in the far back. Yes, one, two, three, four. Oh, Lord, bless these that lift their hands in faith, longing to sense forgiveness of their sins and beginning a new life with Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, for these and all of us, now that you are Savior, be our Emmanuel. Amen and amen.